opportunity to launch our space launch system and Orion spacecraft. You see them live there on Launchpad 39B here at Kennedy Space Center. When it launches, Artemis 1 will be humanity's return to the moon in almost 50 years. Good morning and welcome back for another live briefing of our Artemis One mission. I'm Megan Cruz and thank you uh, so much for being here with us today. This briefing is to update you all on how our countdown is going so far. As you know, the two-hour launch window opens tomorrow, September 3rd at 2.17 p.m. Eastern Time. Here to take your questions today are Jeremy Parsons, Deputy Manager of Exploration Ground Systems here at Kennedy. And then we also again have Melody Levin, a Launch Weather Officer with the U.S. Space Force. Good morning to you both. We will take opening remarks. Jeremy, let's start with you. Sure. Good morning, and uh, really appreciate everyone coming out today. Um, team is doing an absolutely tremendous job moving through launch countdown. And um, so yesterday at uh, 1417 local time, we reset the clock to T minus 45 hours and counting. And uh, so far, they're proceeding right on schedule. Last night, uh, after the briefing, we powered up Orion. We performed all the RF testing. We also powered up the core stage. All looked nominal. We ran final leak checks on the inner tank umbilical. So this was the area that had a, a leak during launch countdown uh, event one. Um, again, all passed ambient along with the tail service mast umbilical. So good leak checks there. And then uh, yesterday evening, we also completed removing access stands um, and begin really final launch preps for the umbilicals. What we have on our plate today is a series of launch release system checks. We're charging the batteries on the flight elements, finishing final walkdowns, everyone kind of going through their systems, making sure everything looks and is in the appropriate configuration. We got a really busy afternoon moving everything into final launch configurations. So that's handrails, heavy equipment, um, things like that. When we talk about going into tomorrow and the day of launch, um, activities pick up really early. So at 2 a.m., we're doing full clearing of the blast danger area. We get into air to G and 2 switch over at about 3.30 a.m. And so that allows us to then go into what we have is called a tanking meeting at 4.45 a.m. And we expect to get a decision coming out of there to where we can begin cryo-operations at about 5.30. At 8 a.m., you'll uh, expect to get into the engine bleed kickstart. So that's going to be one of those big milestones, again, that we're going to pay attention to. That will go on for about an hour. And afterwards, we'll be in to replenish uh, in terms of our commodities at that point for liquid hydrogen. Um, when we get into after that, we have a pre-press test at T minus uh, two hours and 20 minutes. And so that'll be bringing the tank up to flight pressure for a period of time. That's really a risk mitigation uh, for when we get into terminal count so we don't run into any unexpected issues there. And then right now we're on track for a uh, 2.17 p.m. launch. We have a two hour window. And so right now team has really just done a fantastic job getting us out of launch attempt number one, repairing all the issues and getting us into a safe configuration to proceed into a tomorrow's launch attempt. With that, that's kind of the, the quick update. Melody, uh, you want to go through the weather, please? Absolutely. Good morning, everyone. So the weather continues to still look pretty good for the launch attempt on Saturday. Um, the flow has become onshore this morning, so let's go ahead and look at satellite um, so we can go ahead and talk, to, talk about what's happening right now. Um, and as satellites being pulled up, you can see there's actually a very weak trough positioned off to our north. And uh, if, if you're able to focus your eyes just north of the Space Coast, you can see some thunderstorms forming close to Daytona this morning. Um, basically, that's indicative of onshore flow starting up. And we did see that with our morning weather balloon uh, that was uh, put up in the air earlier this morning. Um, so 
With that onshore flow regime starting, it should strengthen as we get into Saturday, and that will likely do us some favors as we get into the later portion of the launch window uh, Saturday afternoon. Um, again, we are expecting our weather to start off a little bit dicey as we get into the 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock time frame. Uh, so we'll go ahead and, since I'm already talking about the launch window weather, we'll go ahead and flip to that next slide of looking at that. Um, so our weather is going to start off at a 40% probability of violation, which of course means a 60% go. Um, however, we do start evaluating the weather three hours before the launch window opens. So of course, that's right around 11 o'clock or so. So I do expect to make some no-go calls at some point tomorrow. However, as that East Coast sea breeze drifts farther inland, we do expect clearing on the back side of that. And that is because that is... Uh, the reason why we are trending the forecast to more of an 80% favorability at the end of the launch window tomorrow afternoon. So now we can go ahead and flip to the backup forecast, and that is on Monday afternoon and evening time frame. Uh, I have the same numbers that I gave you yesterday, basically a 70% up probability of go. However, uh, there's a little bit more uncertainty in this forecast than what we had before. Uh, previously, it did seem like we'd have a pretty steady easterly flow. At this point in time, it does seem like we're going to have a ridge right on top of us in the mid-level layers of the atmosphere. And because of that, it's kind of uh, splicing the flow a little bit more than we expected. Uh, to the north of us, we're expecting uh, more on the side of westerly flow, and to the south of us, uh, we're expecting easterly flow. So of course, we're smack dab in the middle there, and that gives us a very, very light flow regime, and it could almost go either way. So with a forecast like that, uh, basically we're, we're going to be focused on the weather with those inland sea breeze boundaries. And sometimes uh, with that kind of situation, uh, we can see some anvils floating back towards us in general in the late uh, afternoon and evening time frame. So because of that, I did go ahead and add the anvil rule into the backup launch window. But in any case, like I said yesterday, I do not expect weather to be a showstopper by any means for every for e either launch window. Perfect. Thank you, Melody. All right. So for the reporters in the room, just raise your hand. We'll get a mic to you. And then for those on the phone, just press star one to get into the question queue. I saw the first hand over here, Marsha. Marsha Dunn, Associated Press. Um, for Melody, what's the tanking forecast look like? Because we had a one-hour delay on Monday before they could even mm -hmm. fuel. And um, my other question for Jeremy is, if you have to delay the start of fueling for weather or for any other reason, is it a minute-for-minute minute slip in terms of what it does to the launch uh, time? And, and how is that? Or can you make stuff up and, as you do other things? Okay, so of course I'll take that first question. Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Because we have onshore flow, we could have some showers approaching the coastline and maybe maybe a, a crack of thunder and lightning with that. Um, so that is certainly a threat again, a very similar threat to what we had the other day. The one difference though is we're not nearly as moist throughout the atmospheric column as we were the other day. So that's on our side. Uh, but the, it's very hard to predict uh, shower activity offshore during the late night time frames. It's much easier to predict the onset of the sea breeze than the approaching nocturnal showers. So it, it's possible that that could be a hindrance. But if we can get past that, I'm pretty confident that weather will be able to press forward for us. Yeah, and to address your second question. So 
um, it, it's not necessarily going to be a, it wouldn't be a minute for minute slip. And so that's kind of why we want to let the team work through it. They didn't reset the clock until, you know, the T minus 40 minute uh, whole time frame there yesterday. So there's not a lot of margin in the timeline. It's very orchestrated. Um, but they may be able to deal with certain, you know, 15-minute delays, 20-minute delays, those sorts of things, and we'll try and make up time as they go through. But I would just say there's not a lot of margin in that timeline. Okay, and I'll take the next question here. Stephen Young with Spaceflight Now for Jeremy. Um, after the WDR, you extended some holds to get a little more padding in the schedule, and you've done that again to get the engine bleed kickstart work in and pressurize the tank, et cetera. Um, I'm just wondering if you could give us an idea about the length of the work day for the launch team. When people come in, is it multiple shifts? How does that work? And, and are there um, any post-launch traditions that we should expect to see? Will there be beans and maybe a pair of scissors involved? <laughs> Great question, and I uh, really appreciate that. So we're watching the team really closely. Um, it's not one size fits all, right? So some systems, you know, it may be a couple of different folks going through. When you look at some of the, the leadership, like Charlie or um, some of our integration console, they're playing for about 12-hour days is, is really kind of what we're going into right now. If we get into a scrub or at the end of the window, it could go a little bit longer than that. Um, but in general, kind of what we're saying is, you know, 12-hour days is what we're really scheduling them for. Um, we've really been watching the, the team closely. For example, you know, I'm here this morning so we can give Charlie the morning off, right? And, uh, and some of the, the key test conductors and test directors. Um, and so we're just really kind of focused on them. We're talking to them. We're making sure that they feel good and healthy kind of going into tomorrow's attempt and, uh, and are rested. When you talk about what are some of the um, celebrations, so we will have Beans and Corbin in the Launch Control Center afterwards, um, and the integration console has all asked uh, Ms. Blackwell-Thompson to cut their ties afterwards, um, so pretty excited to see those things. They're, you know, we're also trying to establish a few of our own traditions, and so what you'll see is I'll definitely be wearing a green tie for, for launch day to show solidarity with, uh, with some of our, our launch director and some of the others there. Thank you for that question. Over here. Jim McDade, 1819 News. Uh, Melanie, could you please uh, give us an overview of the Anvil Cloud Rule? And um, yeah, I think a lot of our readers would like to know more about that. Okay. Um, essentially, I can tell you what the rule is based on, and I can kind of give you an overview of why some of our rules exist at all. So primarily, um, our rules exist because, based on two principles. Number one, you can't fly into an active thunderstorm, right? And then, number two, you cannot trigger your own lightning strike. Um, and we've seen that in the past at least twice. Um, so basically, if you think about it, we're sending a charged rod up into the sky. We've done half the work for the atmosphere already. So the ANVIL rule is just kind of a continuation of that where um, basically it's, it's a, a spread of the electric current possibly along the ANVIL um, extending farther away from the parent thunderstorm. So because of some of that electric current could still exist, and sometimes it is masked by the outside of the cloud, we, we don't have a good handle on how to see it and how to read it. So it's just a built-in conservatism into the rule to make sure we don't trigger our own lightning strike. Okay, uh, we'll go to the phones and then we'll come back here to the room. I see the two hands in the front row. On the phone we have Bill Harwood, CBS News. Yeah, hi, thanks, Jeremy. I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but. Um, 
you got 46 colas for this launch, and I realize that going up to Apogee and then back down to Perigee for TLI, you're passing through, you know, multiple realms of satellites. But any idea how Starlink plays into all of that, if it does at all? Thanks. Let's see, uh, Bill. So, honestly, the Space Force does that analysis for us. When we look at it, we got about, like you said, about 45 cutouts. Many are short in duration. Um, typically, you know, a couple of seconds each with about uh, 10 of them being about a minute each. In terms of what kind of goes behind that analysis, I honestly don't have the, the answer for you there. It is a mix of satellite position, orbital debris, and, and things like that. But honestly, the, the Space Force kind of looks at the specifics with whether it's Starlink or, or other things along those lines. Another one from the phone real quick, Kristen Fisher, CNN. Kristen, are you there? Oh, sorry, guys. Sorry. It took me a minute to get off hold. My apologies. Um, just wondering if it would be possible to get a update on exactly what the new duration of this mission is going to be. I believe Mike Serafin said yesterday 37 days, um, but some of our folks at CNN were trying to do the math, and we weren't quite seeing it add up. So could we just get an update on, I believe, the, the first on the first launch attempt, it would have been 42 days. If it goes on Saturday... How long will the uh, mission be? Thank you. Yeah, so as you started kind of doing the count, I think a couple of the things that are, are relevant there is do you count the launch day? And um, and so essentially that's probably where you're, you're kind of getting a couple of different durations. And then we're also just a couple hours shy of 38 days, I believe. Right now, if we launch uh, tomorrow afternoon, we would land on October 11th at 11.10 Pacific time. So um, so that kind of gives you the duration. And you know what we would say is it's approximately 37 days to 38 days, depending on kind of where you choose to draw those lines. Thank you, Jeremy. OK, here. Smith, SpacePolicyOnline.com. If you do have to scrub tomorrow, I gather you've got Monday and Tuesday as possibilities. Is that the end? I mean, at that point, do you have to roll back to the VAB because of replacing the battery in the flight termination system? Or are you? negotiating with the range to see if they could extend that some more, or, or, or do you absolutely positively have to go back to the VAB? Yes, ma'am. It's a, it's a good question. So right now, it's our flight termination system is the uh, kind of the pacing function for needing to roll back after this launch period. And what it is is it's based off retest requirements. So right now, the range says uh, every so many days you need to, uh, prior to launch, you have to test that flight termination system. Um, Right now, we worked with them. We provided data for a little over 20 days uh, since we tested it to launch time. Um, we believe we would need to roll back and retest that system uh, just to meet the range requirements. So right now, after 9-6, we'd roll back, retest. We don't actually have to replace the batteries until the next launch period, but it's a, a relatively short retest of the flight termination system just to provide confidence uh, to the range that you know, the public will be safe. Follow-up, will you be able to recharge the batteries on the five accessible CubeSats while you're back in the VAB? So, I honestly, I can, I can follow up with you on that one. Um, typically, what we would do is during power-up, we're able to, to recharge, make sure everything's very good. A number of those uh, will actually be charged up on orbit as well, but I can get you a specific answer on that one because I'm, I'm not positive. All right, the front row here. Uh, thank you, Ed. 
Tarek Malik with the space.com for Jeremy. You mentioned that there's a, a possibility of catching up and making up time if you do get delayed on, on taking it. I'm just curious, where are the windows to do that? Is it just opening the hoses on the fuel line faster to fill or, or coming out of holds earlier? And how do you make that decision? Thanks. So, so there's a couple of built-in holds throughout the timeline. I mean, there's activities throughout all of that. And so if, for example, we get to chill down a little bit quicker than expected or to the 100% uh, build on the tank and go into replenish. Again, it's it's minutes that you can make up in, in a number of those things, but there is not much padding in, in the timeline. What you saw on um, the the first attempt was, you know, we were probably an hour down due to weather, and as we kind of progressed through the first four to five hours, you know, we had maybe made up 10 to 15 minutes, that sort of thing. So really it depends on, you know, speed, rate of chill downs. They're not gonna change valve positions or anything like that. We have a question in the third row over here. Hi. Thanks very much. <laughs> Test your arms. <laughs> um, Irene Klaus with Aviation Week. Um, I have two questions. Uh, the first is, were there any other changes made um, that would cover the last 29 seconds of the countdown that, of course, were not done in the wet dress, but were practiced in the um, green run based on what you've learned with the um, sensor configurations and the LH2 flow? That's one question, just kind of to take us through the last 29 seconds of the countdown that haven't been tested yet and if there's any changes in the process. And then the other question is about the colas. How are those accounted for in the countdown? Does uh, Charlie, like, call a hold or will it be automatically, would the countdown clocks automatically stop, especially if you're already in a termination mode or would you not pick up the, the final um, section of the countdown if there is one of these colas in that process? Thanks. Yeah, no worries. So for the last 29 seconds, no, no changes were made. Really, in order to kind of maybe get at the base of your question, which was, what did we do to kind of mimic some of the green run activities? That's primarily where we began, the, where we intend to begin the kickstart test. And so that's happening before we get to stable replenish on the LH2 tank. And so um, we're bringing that much earlier into the flow and, and before we actually even get the hydrogen tank full. And so that really mimics exactly what we did at a green run. Uh, as far as when we go into the last 29 seconds and ALS handover, no changes were made based off that. And so a lot of this is a vestige of not getting all of those objectives bought off during wet dress rehearsal four, and then really wanting to make sure we have strong process control. Um, let's see, for, I'm sorry, can you repeat? Okay, so, so the call is how do we account for that? Thank you for the reminder. So on, on that one, it, it really will depend on when we choose to reset the clock. So say we go in, what happens right now is the, the GLS integration console. So our ground launch sequencer has a series of times of when those cutouts are. And so if we run into any issues, what we'll do is we'll perform an analysis and say, we are good to launch at X time, and they'll reset to that, and then they avoid the cola. So it's not completely automated, but we do have folks that have those times up, and it's really when we go about resyncing the clock to a new T0 time. Thanks. Thank you. Kenneth. Yeah, hi, Ken Chan, New York Times. Uh, so in the last couple of days, we've heard a lot about the hydrogen line uh, lead kickstart. Um, I was just, and, that's, and that's to sort of verify your procedures. I was wondering, once that all sorted out, in a normal countdown, when does the engine chill down occur? Okay, so let me try and uh, get to the, the core of your question. So 
when do we kind of, maybe I'll repeat it back. So when do we validate our new procedures? Is that the question? No, once, assuming everything works the way you want it to this time. So for Artemis two, when would the chill-down actually occur during a, during a normal countdown? So, so the kickstart procedure is something that I do think we will do every single flow, and so we'll know that relatively early on. Uh, what we are doing this time around that we would not necessarily add into future tests is a pre-press test, and that's just us kind of getting into, into you know, understanding exactly what the controls are, how everything's uh, behaving, and that's really going to be a, a risk mitigation to the terminal count. Uh, but I, I do believe we will not continue to do, uh, or we will do the kickstart similar in every single flow. And what time in the countdown of that would that occur later? So right now it's going to occur at, at yeah. approximately 8 a.m. Um, I don't have the T-minus time right on me, but it'll, it should occur about 8 a.m. for about an hour. No, in the future? It, it would be at a similar time. Okay, thanks. We have some questions on the phone. We have Jim Siegel, nasatech.net. Uh, oh, thank you for uh, taking my question. Uh, if the launch uh, moves to Monday instead of uh, Saturday, uh, when will the launch window open? And I assume that it will still be a two-hour launch window. Thank you. Let's see. So our launch window opens, you know, it's, it's a couple hours later. I don't have that exact information with me handy, so I'll have to, I'll have to get back to you exactly at that time. And so I'll just follow up if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Jim, we'll get back to you on that one. Uh, and then we have Anthony with main engine cutoff on the phone. Hey there, thanks for taking the call. Um, for Jeremy, if the, um, the crack on the core stage foam yesterday was mentioned that that's not an issue for flight, are there any other areas on the core stage where that would be an issue and how are those monitored? So we do a series of checks throughout launch countdown and, and actually in between the last attempt and this one where uh, we go through, we do thorough inspections of the vehicle. Um, even very minor defects are, are noted. Throughout launch countdown, we have a team which we call sea ice on, on the console um, and they do inspections throughout. So they use high definition cameras, uh, infrared, things along those lines. Um, and so right now we've, we've done a full inspection of the vehicle. We've noted any non-conformances and they've cleared any of those uh, for flight. Throughout the count, you know, as we see cryopumping, things like that, we're going to continue to do the same thing. If anything is anomalous, they note it and then they turn it over to a debris trajectory analysis team to, uh, to decide whether or not we have any concerns. So they have standards that they use against and they have models that we run it if it's above those standards. And then just uh, to answer the other question, it was 5.17 p.m. is the launch time and I believe it is a two-hour window as well. Uh, 5.12, actually. 5.12. On the, yep. Nope, it's okay. It's 2.17 Saturday. <laughs> so so 5.12 on Monday, no problem, with that 90-minute window uh, to j answer Jim's question from before. And we had a question in the room here. Yep. Aaron Cooper with CNN. Uh, knowing everything you know, can you kind of bottom line it for us? How confident are you that this is going to fly on Saturday? How confident are you it's going to fly before the end of uh, the Tuesday windows? Yeah, so... This is a test flight, right? And, and so while I feel very good about our procedures, when you look the team in the eye, they're ready. Uh, we can't control the weather. Um, and so on, on any given day, you know, th there is risk that we'll be able to get off. I think uh, what I kind of am looking at is our team is ready. They are getting better with every attempt and actually performed superbly 
um, during lunch countdown number one. So in my mind, I think uh, if the conditions with weather and the hardware align, we'll absolutely go. Um, and we have the right team at kind of the right time. So in those statistics, right, those probabilities go way up if we get two attempts off before the end of this window. And I believe there was another one in the room. Was there another hand in the room? No? Oh, over here. Hi, I'm Brandy Campbell with Fox Weather. Um, with the weather being favorable at 60%, um, how often have you guys had a successful launch at that, I guess, rate? Um, and with that being the rate, I guess, um, do you foresee us maybe waiting a while for like a good time to take off, or is there a chance we could take off you know, at the beginning of the window? So, <clears throat> those are ex excellent questions. I don't have the exact stats that you're searching for. I can get back to you with that. I can tell you, though, that on a, any given day, um, there's about a one in three chance that we will scrub for any reason. And out of those chances of, a, of us scrubbing, there's a 50% chance that it's due to weather. So hopefully that's some stat you can take back. Um, could you remind me of the second part of your question? Uh, Yes, I was asking, uh, is there a chance that we might have to wait a while for there, be, for there to be a good opportunity for us to launch throughout that weather, being that it's a 60% chance favorable? It's, it's entirely possible, and that's why I trended the forecast um, as such I did today, making it worse at the beginning of the window and a little bit more favorable at the end. It really all depends on that sea breeze and whether it moves inland as fast as we are expecting. If, if we are looking at the balloon data in the morning and that easterly flow is not nearly as established as we were hoping to see, we could run into a situation where we're red a little bit longer than we expect to be. But overall, that sea breeze does tend to wind out, win out with easterly flow regardless of truly how strong it is. Okay, we don't have any other questions on the phone. If we're done here in the room, then I think we can wrap up today's news conference. Again, thank you, Jeremy, uh, Melody, and everyone who asked questions. Uh, for more information on Artemis One, we're going to pull up some resources here on the screen. You can uh, take a look at this website. Also follow us on the social media channels you see there. Coverage of us tanking our moon rocket will begin at 5.45 a.m. Eastern Time tomorrow on NASA TV. And then our live launch coverage will begin at 12.15 p.m. For our Spanish viewers, our Spanish launch broadcast will begin at 1 p.m. We hope you can join us. Thanks so much.